As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It was a huge win for Washington on Sunday. Banged up with key injuries, they went into a hostile environment and came out with one of their more impressive road victories in perhaps a long, long time. And no, I'm not talking about the Washington Redskins and what they did in Seattle. I'm talking about the Wizards and what they did in Toronto on Sunday. Bradley Beal is absolutely killing it, and we're going to talk about that soon. This is the Wizards Tip-Off Podcast presented by Greenberg and Betterman Personal Injury Lawyers. I'm your host, Chase Hughes. My co-host, Chris Miller, would join me on the phone in just a moment. But first, a quick rundown of what we're going to talk about today. Bradley Beal is playing the best basketball of his career. Could he make the All-Star game? And what about Otto Porter? He's also been playing really, really well. And what does it say about him and Bradley Beal and John Wall? All three of them to take major leaps in the first year of their max contracts. Chris and I will discuss that. Is Bradley Beal the best shooting guard in the Eastern Conference? As you heard on our last episode, Paul Pierce said that. Paul Pierce also said that LeBron James should consider joining the Wizards. Does that theory make sense? It's something we've talked about on the Wizards Tip-Off podcast before, but I want to get Chris Miller's thoughts now that Paul Pierce has put it out there on national TV. Put it out there on a platform that LeBron James himself will probably take notice. I want to get to all that with Chris Miller, but first, and now on the line is my co-host of the Wizards Tip-Off podcast, Chris Miller. Um, We were on the Wizards Overtime show last night and discussed a lot of different topics, including Travis Thomas's terrible taste in chips. Uh, But one of the questions we asked you, Chris, was uh, what would it take for the Wizards to get three All-Stars? And I I brought this up because I see a lot of people talking about Bradley Beal maybe making the All-Star team, but it's something that you've talked about for a long time. But I think Otto Porter's kind of getting overlooked here. And it's not easy to get three All-Stars. The Wizards, as a franchise, haven't done it since 1975. But, Chris, what do you think it would require for them to accomplish that? I think top seed in the East uh, with a really good record uh, in the first half of the season. That would mean Scott Brooks would go to L.A. too. Yeah. um, I think that's really the only way. Because you look at it, I mean, the East has, in terms of guards, you know, Kyrie, John, um, you know, Kyle Lowry, uh, uh, you look at the two guards, I think Beal's got the best shot ever of having a chance to go. But then the small forward position is really difficult when you're thinking like LeBron, Giannis, um, DeRozan. So the positions are, are going to be difficult. So I think the only way that they would ever really get recognized is if they have like really the best record in the East. And that way, if they're all three, are putting up like career numbers. That might be the only way to get them to Los Angeles. Yeah, it's really tough. On one hand, you know, Gordon Hayward's injury technically opens the door for an Otto Porter, but 
Small forward is just a really deep position in both conferences. But Otto Porter, there's no question this guy's improved. The Wizards saw John Wall and Bradley Beal make significant leaps in the first year of their max deals. And Otto Porter might be doing that himself. Um, He's averaging 18 points a game, 7 rebounds a game, and over 2 steals a game. What specifically have you seen him improve beyond, you know, just the numbers going up a little bit in almost every category? I just think his consistency game to game has been an improvement. You know, Mm -hmm. in years past, Otto would have like a 20-point game and then would probably follow it up with a six-point game. I just think he's been really consistent this year. And, you know, I was talking to Carol Austin about this today when we were just talking about just how well really all three guys have played the year after they signed their deals. And I think that goes to their character and kind of like their makeup as, as, as people. Like, just because I got a check, that mean I can just slack off. I think that says a lot about John, Brad, and Otto. When they got the money, they didn't just run to the bank every two weeks. They're actually producing. You give them a lot of credit for that. So I think the reason why Otto has been really good this year is just his consistency night in and night out on really both ends of the floor. And for the Wizards to be, I mean, obviously it's very early in Otto Porter's first year in this second deal, but to be three for three in that regard is pretty amazing and and definitely um, a lot of credit is deserved to their scouting department, their interview process, trying to determine the character of these guys before they draft them because when you have a first overall pick or a third overall pick like Beal or Porter, that's a, a major, major decision. You have to do your homework, and clearly the Wizards did in this regard. Well, more times than not, you know, front offices get criticized for the, the misses, mm-hmm. but I think this organization needs to get a lot of credit for the, for the makes, and the makes are really important because those are your three core pieces, and they've hit on all three knock on wood right now. They're all playing at a really high level, but to take it to another level, Chase, mm-hmm. they have to be more consistent, I think, defensively, and what we saw in Toronto was a five-man unit out there giving really good effort. Now, maybe there were breakdowns, of course, because it happens in the course of the game, but I thought that was a, the most sustained effort they've had on that end, you know, for 48 minutes. So the key is, you know, when John comes back, you know, how do you keep that going? How do you keep that momentum going? Because it's, I don't think people realize how hard it is for the most important and, and, and the most quality position in basketball is night in and night out. But that's what happens when you have the responsibility. So for John, I just I just hope he saw that game yesterday and said, you know what? Okay. Maybe I don't have to take so many shots. Maybe I have to do so much offensively. Let me give a lot more of that effort defensively staying in front of my guys so it's not so many breakdowns. And I think what you'll see is if that happens, maybe the shot attempts won't be so much, but the durability down the stretch, I think, will be important. The consistency is certainly there offensively. Bradley Beal's now scored 35 points in three straight games. The last two, he shot 60% or better. Um, that's the type of consistency that you know you see from MVP candidates and All-NBA uh, candidates. And, and Bradley Beal's getting it done in a lot of different ways. And on the last episode of this podcast, I talked to Paul Pierce. And I want to read you back a quote that he said and see what you think about it. He said... I think Bradley Beal should be an all-star this year without a doubt. With Dwayne Wade holding that crown for years, being the top two guard, 
I think Bradley Beal should be holding that crown now is the top two guard in all of the East, end quote. Do you think Bradley Beal is the best shooting guard in the Eastern Conference? What do you think? <laughs> I agree with it. I do. Do you know what I've been saying? <laughs> and I, I find it funny now everybody's jumping on it. But I said that last year and had people looking at me cross-eyed like, what? But just look at him. What he's doing on both ends of the floor, to me, is better than anybody else in the East. Now, I'm almost at a point, Chase, and it's going to take – you know, it's going to take probably another full year of this before I'm ready to crown it. Oh, okay. What is this? Best two guard in the league. Oh. <laughs> I, but I need to see that for another year. But what he is, I, I'm so excited about, like, the prospects of once he gets to his prime healthy. That's, mm-hmm. that's scary. Because what he's doing right now is putting the ball on the deck, creating for himself, shooting threes, defending. I mean, he's doing what? What? What is he not doing that would not make him, at least as we're speaking right now, the best two guard in the Eastern Conference? I mean, the guy is shooting over fifty percent now and averaging over twenty-five points a game, and that includes his Warriors outing where he only played fifteen minutes and scored four points. If you take that out of the equation, he's averaging over twenty-eight points a game. I mean, that that competes for scoring titles. It's amazing how versatile he is offensively now. We saw last year him get more confident driving to the rim and with the ball in his hands, ball handling. But now he's doing it to like in a completely different extent. I honestly think, Chris, what do you think about this? I think he's one of the best finishers at the rim at the shooting guard position in the NBA right now. I'm not ready to go there. Really? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm getting to, carried away. Yeah, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate uh, the passion that you have for that one. But I, I want to see him do it more consistently like his jump shot I don't have any issue with getting to the rim getting to the charity stripe more uh is something that I think will make him even more of a threat and facilitating some offense while I'm not a big fan of it for him because I think he's such a dynamic scorer it does make opposing coaches uncomfortable not knowing we know John's the primary ball handler, but if Brad brings it up, which he did yesterday, Otto's brought it up. He brought it up yesterday, too. You starting to have, like, three guys bring it up. Think about, like, what coaches are going to be like. Okay, who do we load up on? Now mm-hmm. if you've got Brad bringing the ball up and John is on the low block that could post up a smaller guy, now John can actually initiate offense on the low block, which is swinging the ball to maybe Otto in the other corner maybe getting Marquise to dive, Gortat maybe doing a little high-low act, Marquise on the opposite side. There's just so many things that you can do when you have John on the low block or Brad bringing that up or Otto switch the spot with Brad and Otto bring the ball up. Now, the offensive action that you can run is just so much more versatile and it just makes them just hard to guard because you just don't know, right? right. I mean, we know John's going in, to in pick up, you know, when they're picking up the pace and they're running transition, you want John with the ball in the hand. But if you're initiating half-court offense, which is what you're going to get in the playoffs, not knowing who's going to have the ball at the top of the key is, is pretty exciting to think about it. I wouldn't, be the other, I wouldn't want to be the opposite coach trying to figure it out. Well, Chris, when it comes to Beal attacking the rim, we've already seen him go right at Draymond Green, the defensive player of the year. Last night, Serge Ibaka's roaming the lane. He didn't care. 
I think we're going to see him this month uh, take that to another level because he's got Whiteside, Hassan Whiteside, in two games coming up. Um, he'll see Dwight Howard, Carl Anthony Towns, and Joel Embiid all before the month is up. I tell you, I don't think Bradley Beal is going to be scared trying to attack the rim with those guys on the court, but we'll see. Going back to Paul Pierce, I got to get your thoughts on his theory on LeBron James maybe considering coming to the Washington Wizards. Basically, he made the case that he shouldn't go to the West. This is a theory you and I have discussed before on this podcast, by the way. But he said, basically, LeBron James, if he wants to win, shouldn't go West because he doesn't want to compete with the Warriors just to get to the NBA Finals. Look around the Eastern Conference, the Wizards with John Wall, Bradley Beal, and Otto Porter give him the best situation. Do you think it's that crazy? Because now Paul Pierce is talking about it. He's one of the best players that we've seen in a long time. Um, you know, it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, and to think about that, it makes sense you know, if you're looking at it from a basketball standpoint. But I'm looking at it more from a business side. Mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> I mean, just for us alone, our ratings would go through the roof. <laughs> yes. Okay, like it would just it, people's lives will change. Trust me, I've been right. through the whole LeBron experience, and I know what it does. To be, you know, he's not just a basketball player; he changes the economy in places, Jake. So, from I, the basketball stuff, it's like common sense. Of course, it would work here, but go beyond that. And think about the business side of it. Yeah, it cost a lot of money here, but. Look what happens in the Washington, D.C. area if he played here for two or three years. Think about the practice facility that they have over, I think, in Southeast. Think about, like, all the, like, all the businesses that would be impacted by having LeBron here. And like, man, that would be so good for this city. I don't know if people really think about the business side of it. I think they think of just having him playing with Wall and Beal. But I just think of it more of, you know, from our standpoint, ratings through the roof, ticket sales going up. I mean, he would generate just so much revenue for this organization. The question is, is do you pull the trigger? Because guess what? You're going to go over the luxury tax bringing that guy in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no question uh, NBC Sports Washington would uh, benefit from that. Although, the Wizards would be getting so many national TV games that it, it'd probably well, be like... The, the thing, what, so there's like, I think there's a cap on it. Yeah, but, Fox Sports Ohio has this, right? Right. They have a cap, and then after, I think, like 12, or, it's either 12 or 16, something like that, then they can start broadcasting, you know, when, you know, when Turner's broadcasting, too, because, you know, of course they want to put the Cavs on TV every Thursday night, ESPN every Wednesday and Friday, or, you know, Saturday nights when they start that up again. So, you know, there's a cap on it. But, hey, if we only have 67, 70 games, I'll take it. Because you've got that guy with a team that's already made. I was telling somebody this today, Chase, think about it. He, he would be literally a plug-and-play. Like, there's no kind of, hey, if you sign here, we'll build around you. It's like, no. Oh, it's We have a team already. You just come in and play whatever position you want, and we roll the ball out and go play. It's a turnkey operation. And, you know, you've got the point guard. He could kind of, as he gets older, transition to the four, have Otto Porter and Bradley Beal, 
you know, carrying the load uh, in terms of scoring. Certainly, Bradley Beal is is turning into that type of player. The way they can stretch the floor. I, I mean, he would fit obviously on a lot of teams, but the pieces are very complimentary here and. And he can it's take fun to think off. about. He doesn't have to have a 57-point game. Right. He doesn't even have to play. He could actually take a game off, you know, just so he's fresh when the playoff starts. And, you know, we saw that with Paul Pierce the one year he was here. You know, Paul didn't play, rarely played in the regular season, but boy, was he ready to go when it was playoff time. Right, right. And obviously Michael Jordan played here, but this would be completely different. Michael Jordan was pushing 40, still had it, but he wasn't in his championship contending prime like LeBron James would be. And I had someone say, oh, if he wants to win, why doesn't he just stay in Cleveland? But if you took LeBron off that roster, even fully healthy with Isaiah Thomas, the Wizards have a better roster. I know that's kind of a a crazy hypothetical, but... No, they do. Yeah, but they have a better roster. And and Isaiah Thomas has, you know, a bad hip, and he's on a contract year, so... It sounds good, but I will say, Paul Pierce and LeBron James didn't seem to get along very well over the past few years, certainly when Paul Pierce was in Boston and Brooklyn, so I don't think he speaks for him on any level, but him throwing it out there in this level of detail is certainly going to draw uh, LeBron's attention, and if he hasn't thought about it before, now he's heard that theory that you and I have discussed before. Um, and, and, you know, I would think of it like this, too. If he came to D.C., he would take a lot of our distractions from what's happening at a certain address. Yes. The heart of the <laughs> I mean, he would definitely be like the guy in this town, and he would be like maybe one of the greatest distractions. Oh, he'd be... He would be the guy, and it would annoy the hell out of whoever's in that office. Uh, you know, whenever LeBron James speaks out, because his voice would carry very well, uh, especially Absolutely. in this town. Uh, he, he, his, one, his platform would reach a different level. It. Yeah, it is fun to talk about it. But you know, LeBron thinks he's global. Uh, his his reach is global. It's not like local. He doesn't think like that. He thinks like you know, from a global perspective, you know, what place probably could help him, you know, continue his brand. Um, it'd be a good selling point. I mean, listen, there, there are already connections here with Rich Paul and being the agent for LeBron and, and John. And, you know, Kelly Oubre has actually worked out with LeBron in the summer. And the Bradley knows him. You know, there, there, there would be, I think, a very smooth transition to this organization if that ever happens. Absolutely, and I, I still need to look up the article, but I remember I think it was back before LeBron even left for Miami, but someone asked him to rank his top five cities in the U.S., and D.C. was on the list. Um, oh, he loves D.C. Yeah, he loves he, D.C. He, yeah, no, he loves D.C. Yeah, so... Th- Absolutely. Th- yeah, there, it, it makes sense, but and of you course know it's all up to LeBron. All the people that hate LeBron and boo him in D.C. because he just <laughs> the team, they would fall in love with him instantly if he even tweeted out or did something on the end of the day. People in this town are drooling. I mean, listen, you're a, you're a D.C. lifer. You probably have had those moments where LeBron's broken heart. You're like, man, this guy, I can't say. If he ever said he was coming here, you would totally, you'd be like Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially, I mean, Especially now that I'm in this business and I, I pedal in page views and uh, and social retweets and all that sort of thing. Um, and plus, hey, LeBron is a Cowboys fan, so he would uh, he'd fit in with the Wizards locker room with John Wall and Marquis. Totally, totally would fit in. <laughs> um, all right, Chris. Before I let you go, I've got to ask you about uh, the most recent episode of One on One with Chris Miller. You had Ernie Grunfeld. Um, I understand a lot of this was shot in Richmond. Right? Didn't you talk to him down there? And then also yeah. in his office at uh, Capital One Arena, um, it's a 
full-length episode, so there's a lot that you guys discussed. But I'm curious, what did you learn about Ernie Grunfeld in sitting down with him that you didn't know before that you know was maybe particularly interesting? Well, I, I, I joked with him, but I was also kind of serious that I've been wanting to do this interview for 10 years with him. And, you know, this just never worked out. You know, to get him to sit down and talk about, like, life coming from Romania when he was nine, you know, to be in Queens and to go from Queens to Knoxville, Tennessee, to getting drafted, to ultimately going back to his hometown to play for the Knicks before he started to get into management, broadcasting, scouting. I mean, he is what you call a basketball lifer. And I think the whole sit-down, we kind of started from the beginning of just being a kid that's nine that came over here, couldn't learn the language. But the one language that it seems like in sports that that everyone understands is, you know, like basketball, like getting out on the floor or in the courts in New York and playing and, you know, getting better and then having a chance to get a scholarship and go to Tennessee and the Ernie and Bernie show with Bernard King down there. And he just opened up. There's just a lot of really good stories that he shared. And, you know, the one story that I think that, kind of speaks to, you know, Ernie and, and, and just his vision of basketball is, you know, the night that the Wizards won the lottery, and, and this was kind of a poignant moment. You know, Ernie's dad, when he was a kid, gave him a, uh, a necklace, and it had a, a, a gold soccer ball on it. And, you know, they're going to the lottery of Secaucus, New Jersey, and Ernie's wife is like, you know, wear your dad's necklace. You know, it could be good luck. And Ernie had it, and he's sitting in the room. I don't know if a lot of people know this, Chase, but, like, when the executives are in the room before the lottery starts, they know who won the lottery, like, an hour before it hits air. Mm -hmm. But they take people's cell phones. You can't communicate to the outside world. So he knew for an hour before everybody else that the Wizards won the lottery to get John Wall. And he's, like, freaking out because I want to tell somebody, but you can't tell anybody you know, he just kind of shared the story of like rebuilding after the whole Gilbert situation happened with the guns and just, you know, his thought process on just like, that job is hard. And he gets, you know, you know, fans are very critical of him because of decisions that have been made. But he, he really talked about, you know, his vision of how he sees a team. And, you know, when you think about it, there's been two players that since he's been in the executive that's kind of just been a thorn in his side. And it was Michael Jordan when he was at the Knicks, and it was LeBron James when he was here with the Wizards. <laughs> if you took those two guys out of it, he could have at least won, I think, at least one championship with the Knicks. And, you know, it was just a really good story about a guy who's been in basketball for 40-plus years and just how he got to this point, um, being one of the longest-tenured GMs in the NBA. Yeah, Ernie, uh, you know, obviously had some success in Milwaukee. Uh, they went to the conference finals, I think, when he was there. And then the Knicks, I think it was the year he was fired, they made the finals as the eight seed. So um, it, it's only a matter of time with the way he's got this team on track for for the Wizards to do some some really cool things um, because he's got the track record there. I, I have to ask you, you mentioned Ernie and Bernie. Of course, they had a 30 for 30. How excited are you for this Ric Flair 30 for 30? Can't wait. Like This is going to be the most, <laughs> this is the most anticipated 30 for 30 for me. I've got a tape tomorrow, 10 o'clock to watch. I mean, like, there's not one story that I don't know about Ric Flair, but just I'm still going to sit here and watch because he has been such a huge influence. And people laugh when I say it, but he's been, like, a real influence in my life of just, like, style and 
Styling. talking and <laughs> he's just he's the man to me and like you know he was on death doorstep you know a couple of weeks ago he was like they only gave him a 20 percent chance to live and i was just like I, I just that would be the one that would really just that would devastate me you know so it's good to see that nature is back and he's wooing <laughs> so looking forward to the 30 for 30 because that's my guy oh man it, it's a complex story Ric Flair, and I, I can't wait to hear all the, because I haven't heard those stories. You know, I, I've seen uh, a lot of the stuff he's done over the years, just a fascinating personality and figure in sports, and th- that's going to, I can already tell, that's going to go down as one of the better 30 for 30s, and obviously they do a really good job. And, and Chris, you're doing a great job with this one-on-one with, with Chris Miller stuff. Um, Ernie Grunfeld was the last episode. Uh, what do you got planned for us moving forward? Um, anything you can tell us? Well, I was getting John, and uh, John's story is, I think everybody knows his story, but to chronicle it in like a half hour, that's cool. Uh, you know, Bradley is another one that's really interesting with his, his family background and just how close they are. You know, everyone in the family's first name starts with the letter B, which is kind of cool to just, a couple of years ago, we were in St. Louis and had the entire family, and I just wanted to kind of rehash that for people that didn't see it, just how close to the decision that, you know, Bobby and Desta Beal made when they had Bruce and Brandon come up to D.C. when Brad first got drafted here to live with him. They helped him because, you know, he was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And then he has twin younger brothers, Byron and Brian. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I like these one-on-ones because I think what it does is it, it, we talk about basketball, but we do it in a setting where guys can be a little more comfortable to open up about their journey because we all have a journey. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and it's kind of interesting to hear, you know, how people got to the positions where they are now and just kind of just sacrifices and some of the hard work that not only the person has made, but the people around them. Like, support system is so important. And I think when you hear, like, people support staff and how, how they help them get to that point, it just makes for a really good TV. Chris and I will, of course, have you covered for this entire Wizards homestand. They play five of their next six at home, and that's before going on the road for ten of their next twelve. Uh, not a whole lot of balance in their schedule right now. That's uh, a lot of home games in a row, and then a lot of road games in a row. So we'll see how the Wizards do. All right, thanks to Chris Miller for joining me on the phone today. And as always, thanks to you for listening to the Wizards Tip-Off Podcast. <laughs>